0: You will open your Bibles this morning to John's Gospel, Gospel of John, chapter 1. Somebody asked me a couple of days ago, they said, well, what have you learned in a month of being sick? I thought about that. I think I've, I hope I have at least learned a number of things. One of which is the frailty that each one of us possesses and the infinite power of God revealed in His Word, and how much we are dependent upon His Word to accomplish the things that we need accomplished in our lives for His glory. The Lord really doesn't need us. And sometimes it takes being sick or going through some other trial in our life to remind us how small we really are and how powerless we really are But how great God is. I also learned that I love preaching the Gospel of John. And I can't wait to dive back into it with you this morning. So let's pick up in verse 29, which we looked at two weeks ago. But Let's pick up in verse 29 because it really fits with verses 29 through 34. And we only got through verse 29 last time. But let's pick it up there and then we'll look at verses 30 and 34. 34 this morning with the Lord's help the next day he saw he meaning John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to him and he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world this is he On behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified saying I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen. And have testified that this is the Son of God. Father, by your own unique work of the Word in the hand of the Spirit, cause us, each one of us here this morning, to be able to leave this place and to say with John, I have seen, I have testified this Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. May we say this with John and mean it with every fiber in our being. Work your saving purposes in all of us this morning. We pray for the precious name, for the sake of Of this Lamb Jesus. And in his power. We stand and we pray these things. Amen. John. You remember me saying two weeks ago that. In verse 29. John the Baptist has just announced. The most cataclysmic. Change. In the history of the world. Up to that point. The whole world, as we might sing at Christmas, lie in darkness, awaiting the coming of the Messiah and up to that point with the world, the best they could do was look forward to the coming of the Messiah, to foretell the coming of the Messiah, to shadow and type the coming of the Messiah. but John the Baptist has the unique privilege as the final human prophet to stand and say behold now is the time behold this is the place behold this is the person for whom you have all waited the lamb of god who takes away not may take away not can take away not has potential to take away but who affirmatively takes away the sin Of the world. (coughs) His exclamatory cry of behold is not simply. Oh look and see look. But it is rather you remember. A call to follow this lamb. A call to trust this lamb. A call to believe this lamb. And in this brief statement. He points out the saving truth about. Jesus of Nazareth. He is the sacrificial, substitutionary lamb from God. No other can fit that description. He is the only Savior for the world. And you remember when we were together last that, that we went into John's ten usages of the term world and how he uses that one word throughout his gospel so that we came to the conclusion that John's use here is not that he saves the, all the world from all their sin. Rather, he is... The only Savior for all the world. The only name given among men under heaven whereby we must be saved. This is John's exclamatory statement. But that's not the end of his pronouncement as we see in verses 30-34. through While the things we discussed last time in verse 29 are true and they are glorious... They are only as true and they are only as glorious as the authenticity and the authority of the one who claims these truths about himself. In other words, Jesus is no different than all of the myriads of people who came before him claiming to be Messiah if he cannot authenticate and he cannot demonstrate authority that backs these claims up. And that is really the essence of verses 30 through 34 as we confirm the identity of Messiah. And so here in the second half of John's glorious pronouncement, he points to the weight and he he spells out for us the power of his previous statement, verifying both things about Jesus, his authenticity and his authority. We look at verse 29, don't we? And we say, wow, what a glorious statement. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we should marvel at that. We should be moved by that. This Jesus so long awaited. We didn't have to wait. We were born with all of this ready for us to read and understand and believe but placing ourselves in their shoes. That long-awaited Messiah had come. In our day, we need to marvel and we need to look and we need to revel in the message that John is communicating here because just as it was so needed in John the Baptist day in Jesus' day, brothers and sisters, it is needed in our day. To verify the veracity and the authenticity and the authority of this man named Jesus. Because I'll tell you plainly, evangelicalism in America has a problem. Evangelicalism in America has a problem. And the problem of evangelicalism in America is not over style. It's not over uh, differences of practice. It is not in competing camps or denominations. The problem of evangelicalism in America on this day, and I mean this literally, not Using hyperbole. But this very morning, the problem of evangelicalism and too many churches, I fear, even in our own community, is a false Jesus. Not the Jesus John the Baptist is proclaiming. I think Corey mentioned it. It might have been Sam. Sorry, guys. COVID brain fog. One of you, I think, mentioned... Just one of any number of studies we could cite that has recently come out, commissioned by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research, on the state of theology in the United States today. Where they surveyed a broad section of both the culture at large and the church that claims to be evangelical. 52% 52% of adults surveyed across the broader culture, meaning Christian and non-Christian alike, 52% said they believed that Jesus was a good teacher, but he was not God. 52% of the people in this town, if that cross-section means anything, believe that Jesus was a good teacher and a good man, but he was not God. That will send you to everlasting torment in hell. I remember a number of years ago, a a dear friend of mine who I really love. He's a great guy. Who grew up in a denomination and a tradition not like mine but one that I had assumed because it's one that my family had descended from. I assumed that he knew the same truth I knew. And he cornered me one day and he said, Brian, let me ask you a question. He said, is Jesus really God? And my heart broke. Is Jesus, and he was as sincere As he could be. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was genuinely asking. Is Jesus really God? I said. He sure is. Let me tell you how I know he is. And we had a great discussion about it. And he said. You know that all makes a lot of sense. But I never really knew that. And he grew up, he's been in church his entire life. So it will not surprise you to know that while 52% of the people in this nation that claims to be a Christian nation don't believe that Jesus is God, here's the real problem. In that same survey, 30% of church-going, professing evangelicals said the exact same thing. Jesus was a good man, and he was a good teacher, but he was not God. I want you to do me a favor. Look to your left. Go on, do it. Now look to your right. One out of the three people in that transaction will be in hell. One in three evangelicals. Your neighbor to your right, yourself, and your neighbor to your left. If that survey holds, brothers and sisters, if that holds and one out of the three of you do not believe Jesus is the Son of God, there is no hope of eternal life for you. That ought to break your heart evangelicalism has a problem. You may vote together, but you may not inherit eternal life together. That ought to terrify us. We may be on the same page with cultural issues, moral issues we care about, but we ought to care more. Not that those things aren't important because they are, but we ought to care more about our eternal destiny together. And John Goes a long way here in verses 30 through 34 in helping us to comprehend the authenticity and the authority of Jesus so that we aren't the one third of that equation. That we don't end up in hell like the the person at the end of Matthew 7 who looks up at Jesus and he says, Lord, Lord. Have we not done many things in your name and done many wonderful works in your name? And Jesus says to them, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I don't know you. And you really didn't know me either. John gives the remedy for that. He gives two confirmations. Again, I've already given you the The alliterated points with the authenticity and the authority of Jesus in verses 30 through 34. And these are non-negotiable truths. These are fundamental truths. These are building block truths. This is basic Christianity 101. This is gospel 101. Don't move past it. So let's look, first of all, the confirmation of Jesus' authority. Notice John the Baptist's exclamation in verse 30. This is he. It's emphatic. This. This is he. I can't emphasize it or exclaim it any more clearly. This one, this man right here is the one of whom I have said One is coming after me who ranks above me. John the Baptist is not calling attention to himself, although he could rightly so from a human perspective deserve credit for making the prediction earlier because this is what I said. Now I'm proving it to you. He doesn't do that. Rather, John moves straight to Jesus. No personality cult here. John's not after building his own following. He's not trying to raise himself up. He is humble. And his only task is to point us to Jesus. While John is careful in emphasizing as the driving force of his gospel, the deity of Jesus, I want you to notice just quickly as an aside, but in aside with meaning here, he says, after me comes a man. John's gospel is focused on the deity of Jesus Christ, whereas other gospel writers tended to want to help us understand the humanity of Christ. John says, no, listen, I am not minimizing his humanity at all. He is God, but he is also man. He is truly God, truly man, the God man. Truly God, in all of his glory, in all of his attributes, don't buy into, John might say, don't buy into the kenosis theory that says, well, he emptied himself of his deity in order to become human. No, his deity assumed humanity without injury to either one of them. Without diminishing either one, Jesus is the God man. In fact, we read it in chapter 1, verse 14 of this same gospel. The Word became flesh. The Word did not transpose Himself into flesh. The Word, while remaining the Word, also became flesh. Like us. A man. With a physical birth and who would have a physical death. Who would experience all the range of human emotion and need. Yet without sin. So John points to him, and if the Baptist is anything, he's humble. He says, this is him. No pride on John's part, no desire to be exalted as, hey, I'm the guy that discovered him. He's not an agent. He's not a manager. He's not a publicist. He's not a promoter. He is a prophet who has one job to point people in his day, people in our day, to the true Biblical, Jesus. Even his dress communicates his humility, so that his message is what is primary. John dresses in a way that debases himself, that that doesn't entrap himself in all the the, the gold and the pomp and the circumstance of the regi- li- religious leaders who, by the way, had just questioned him. He does. What he does, he lives how he lives, he dresses how he dresses like a prophet in order to minimize himself, that his message might be the thing that is really outstanding. He reminds us that this man, this one, has a higher rank than himself, he is nothing. He's nothing. John chapter 3, verse 30, he, he says, He must increase, and I must decrease. You know, that's what a proper view of Jesus' authority <coughs> will do to any of us. It will humble us. It will humble us. The more we see of Christ, the less we will want to see of ourselves. The less position we will desire for ourselves. Only that Christ would be known in his authority. And this is the right response. And John obviously has that response here. The king, when he is heralded, humbles humanity. A heralded king results in a humbled humanity. Let's ask ourselves, shall we? in diagnosing whether or not we are believing in the right Jesus, the biblical Jesus, are we sufficiently and adequately and properly humbled under his authority? Or does the Jesus we claim to worship allow room for our human pride? If if it is that Jesus, he is no saving Jesus. John is absolutely humbled by the presence And the authority of this Jesus. How has the authority of the king humbled you? How has he brought you to the end of yourself? Too many times, Jesus is treated as our servant, not our sovereign. But he called himself a servant. understand that. But he's also an exalted king. He came to serve by his sacrifice for sin, not to satisfy all of our lusts and felt needs. And yet today I fear too many in evangelicalism view Jesus as our sidekick rather than our king. As our insurance policy. Not the infant potentate of time. He's just there to fulfill poor Richard's almanac. And Ben Franklin's humanistic mind. To make us happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because after all, right? Cleanliness is next to godliness. It's in there somewhere. No. And neither is the view of Jesus that far too many people take. He's not our servant. He's not our genie in a Middle Eastern ancient vase or bottle to be robbed and to come up. John is humbled under him. He is not using Jesus. He is here to confirm the identity of Jesus. Are we humbled in that way? Or has our Jesus simply become a slave to our wants to our comfort our ease our way of life i'll tell you it's really good for us to interact with to read about and to know and have relationships With Christians in other parts of the world, not like America, where things are hard, where the things we prize and somehow have mixed tragically with Christianity don't exist, has a purifying effect on the church. In fact, I remember the last time I was supposed to be in Belarus to teach a class in the seminary there on church planting. You know, one of the things you do is you assign text for a class. So here's the book that you have to read before you show up for class, or here's the book you're going to read during class, and here are all these things. And and so as I began to read through the books on church planting that are written by all the gurus, the big names, the celebrities at the conferences who espouse church planting and they're geniuses and they have marketing and leadership lessons galore. And you start to read their books and you go, wait a minute. This doesn't translate it into a nation where believers are oppressed or persecuted. It won't work. You can't do all the slick marketing. You can't do this or that or the other. But you know what you can do? And you know what the church in Acts did? They preached the Jesus that John is talking about. And it turned the world upside down. Oh, we need to get a right view of the authority of Jesus. Not our modern conception of Jesus that's been adulterated and made filthy by our own vain and idolatrous imaginations. Verses 30 and 31, we have several factors that exalt the authority of Christ. Here, and they lead to John's humility. And I would beg you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you're here this morning. And you are not a son or a daughter of Jesus and the King. That you would hear this as well. And you would become by believing on him. A son and a daughter of the King. Be humbled by these things. So that you may be changed by them. Number one, John says his authority stems from this. He existed before me. It's an argument from beginning to end he existed before me verses 1 through 3 go back to John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 notice how John starts the gospel what's the point of the gospel of John to exalt Jesus as the son of God the savior for the world this is evangelism 101 it starts with an exalted authoritative Christ In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. He is the source of everything, John is saying. He existed before me, He was here in the beginning. Why? Because He is the beginning, He is Alpha. He will be here in the end because he is the end. He is Omega. He is greater than John because he existed before John. In fact, John exists because he exists. Does that make sense? How many of you have ever had one of those humbling experiences where you get a little bit proud and a little bit cocky and you become a self-made individual and then somebody reminds you uh hey don't forget i'm the one that got you in that door i'm the one that taught you that thing that skill don't forget it's essentially what john is saying i can't claim any status He is the beginning. He is the source of all that I am. He's the reason I'm here. He is everything. He's greater than Abraham. And as we heard in Sunday school this morning, to a Jew, you can't get greater than Abraham. Unless you're God. Jesus himself says, doesn't he? in John chapter 8, verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. I existed. So let's talk about greatness, people. We want to talk great. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Who's in the beginning? Only me. John says he existed before me, therefore possesses an innate authority over me. All things have come into existence by him. He is the supreme architect. We marvel, don't we, at men who pioneer and uh, innovate. And we stand in awe of such people. If they were to walk in the room this morning, everybody would be like, did you see who just walked in? That's Elon Musk. Thomas Edison. Henry Ford. Louis Pasteur. Men who innovated. Men who accomplished great things. We stand in awe of them. But what about Jesus? John the Baptist possesses an innate sense of awe about the man in whose presence he now stands. And I wonder, do we stand in awe of Jesus? Or is he just like, hey, Jesus. More grotesquely, t-shirts that say things like, Jesus is my homeboy. That is not an appropriate response to the one who existed before you and who will exist long after you. He is the supreme ark. He is not something to be treated lightly. May God help us. To run as far and as fast as we can from the notion that that he is only useful for, to hear a few simple words of ours that obligate Him then to grant to us eternal life so that we don't have to think about hell anymore or bad things and then go on with your life. God spares from that. That is not the Jesus Scripture. That is not the Jesus who saves. Perhaps it is Jesus with His truth that He speaks throughout the Gospels that are too inconvenient for us. Perhaps it's the truths of Jesus that are too inconvenient. Words like sin and cross and following that that turned off and turned away the people in John's day. Maybe it's that. Maybe that's what causes them to question John the Baptist. But John says, as we must say this morning, I've yielded to him. wholly and completely in awe of who he is. Because after all, he was before me and he is the source of all things. Paul would say it this way in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Karl Marx and his ilk and his school ought to be glad they couldn't destroy God because in destroying God, they would have destroyed themselves. In the very next instant, he literally holds your next heartbeat in his hand. Your next breath. The next sunrise. The next cycle of seasons that produce food for us. He holds it all. And John says, I'm just in awe of this man who was before me. What awe-filled reverence that is due to Jesus Christ. Not a contempt born out of ill-informed familiarity. Of who we think Jesus is. The evangelical church in America. Would do well to question. Her true relationship to this Christ. Rather than to go on coddling her error. To her eternal destruction. Brothers. Test yourself. Try yourself to see whether you be in the faith, whether you be in right relationship to Jesus Christ. I would rather you ask that question than coddle some uh, felonious error about Jesus in your mind and in your heart. That in the end, and in the final analysis, you are the one in Matthew seven to whom Jesus says, "Depart from me, I never knew. Some of you sitting in the room this morning have come to me at various points in 20 years and asked me what I consider to be the greatest question maybe that could be asked. Brian, do you see any fruit in my life that would tell you I'm a Christian? That makes my heart rejoice. Because, number one, it's an opportunity to talk about Jesus. To talk about the source of our assurance. But it also is a cause for rejoicing in me that that you take Jesus seriously. And that you take matters of eternal life and death seriously. Seriously. That's a cause for rejoicing and oh, that we more of us would stop and think, how do I view Jesus? What is my estimation of him? Is it as exalted under his authority as John's was? Or does it need some biblical realignment? His preexistence, second, his preeminence. John the Baptist, as great as he was, was still just John the Baptist. He was just a man. He was just like you and I. Aside from the fact that he had received divine direct revelation from God, he's just a man. Nothing overtly noteworthy about him. But as a man, the overwhelming greatness of Jesus still stupefied. He's Jesus' cousin. He's descended from a priestly line. In fact, he's as close to fulfilling the offices of Jesus as any human being had ever come. He was both a prophet and a priest. He just wasn't a king. John was stupefied by the presence of Jesus. Left in awe. Beginning supernaturally in the womb in Luke one forty one, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting the baby, that would be John the Baptist, leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? The very presence of Jesus brings about that reaction of John. Even in the womb. His cousin has come to stand in his presence and somehow the fact that they are maternal cousins is lost on John. Even says, I didn't recognize him. I I didn't even get who he was. In fact, go go to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, look at verse 18. The humility of John, the authority of Jesus, the preeminence of Jesus in that authority. When we get to Luke chapter 7, verse 18, then the, the disciples of John, meaning John the Baptist, reported to him about all these things, meaning about Jesus, summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord, Jesus Christ, his cousin, the Messiah, saying, are you the expected one? Are you? Are are you sure you're him? Sure looks like it. Sure sounds like it. But I need to know. Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? When the men came to him, they said, this is to Jesus. John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and affliction and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them. Go. And report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. John, by the way, this is taken from Isaiah and other portions of the Old Testament. So Jesus doesn't just come to John the Baptist to answer his question on his own words. Rather, he retreats to Scripture itself because he is asserting and proving his authority. He says, John, listen. Listen. You tell me. Here's all the things that I've done. You know I've done them. Your disciples have seen me do them. The Old Testament says that this is what the Messiah will do. John, you tell me. Who am I? It's got to be you. John, don't be scandalized. Don't fall away. Don't be troubled. I am he. What preeminence? John the Baptist, again, just a man. He can say, I-, I didn't know who he was. I struggled. I, I questioned. I- I, he says here in the text in, in John chapter 1, I did not recognize him. I didn't. It was a struggle. I, I understand now, but I didn't always understand. I understood in the womb, but I had a little, you know, lapse of cognition there. At various points in my life, I, I didn't recognize him. I'm, I'm simply the forerunner, sin ahead. Jesus is preeminent, though. I know this now everything about his ministry was for laying the groundwork of a greater ministry to come a ministry based on the authority of scripture already revealed given through the prophets before him jesus is built on that john says you know i'm i'm just a man i'm just like you i struggled I wrestled. But this much I know. He is authoritatively preexistent. That's why I'm here. He is authoritatively preeminent. That's why he sent me to prepare the way. But know this, he is the Messiah. Know this, you must get him right. There's no wiggle room for error here. But in order to get him right, you must humble yourself. You must humble yourself. We don't really have time this morning to talk about how John finishes out this section, this event. When he speaks of Jesus' baptism, we'll have to wait and save that for next week to to jump in there. But John essentially says as much in the baptism of Jesus, we find the authority. And we find the authority authenticated. This is Him. And our response, brothers and sisters, has to be this. He ranks higher than me. (coughs) He ranks higher than me. He ranks higher than you. He ranks higher than the church. He ranks higher than everything in this world world so that all of our trust has to be in him can't be anywhere else all of our following has to be behind him it can't be following someone or something else christ alone is worthy of our beholding by his authority because of his pre existence, because of his preeminence. John says, I I came to learn about this. And I'm going to tell you more about it next week. I'm going to tell you exactly how I learned it. The moment of realization for me. I don't know what your state is. I don't know where you stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. But if your posture and your position is not aligned with John the Baptist, then may I say it needs to be realigned. You must stand with John. This is the only lamb to take away the sin of the world. He is the son of God. Who absolutely does take away the sins of all who believe. And all that come to him, Jesus says later in this gospel, I will not cast out. But I will receive them unto myself. That must be our heart. That must be our posture. That must be our humble position before him that you are he. There is no one and nothing else. They can save. that's true of you you believe that this morning then know this god revealed that to you in his word to bring you to his son and to bring you into a state of worship of the son that's your purpose in life now the worship of the lamb if that's not your position Before Jesus Christ. Then you must turn to him. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sin. Apart from this one. Who is the authoritative. Preexistent. Preeminent son of God. There is no salvation in anyone else. Maybe you've played games. Maybe you've been in church your whole life. Maybe you've gone through all the motions. But you really don't know where you stand with Christ. You've never given it much thought. Jesus is just like any other character in the Bible to you. Then may I encourage you, compel you, exhort you to run to the Jesus that John has revealed here. The preexistent, preeminent Lamb of God who is your only hope for salvation. And apart from Him, there is no salvation. doesn't ma- matter what experience we've had. doesn't matter what we've been involved in in our life. doesn't matter how long we've been a church member. None of those things matter outside of a personal relationship, belief in this One who is the Lamb of God. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the truths that You have revealed in it. May our view of Jesus be corrected and informed by the Scripture and by the Spirit so that we do not hold vainly or falsely to a well-meaning, well-intended Jesus but not a saving Jesus Lord direct our thoughts to you as you would have us to see you and know you in, in the scriptures the pre-existent, preeminent one who possesses all authority in heaven and on earth who alone forgives sin Cause us to marvel and worship and even weep at your feet for your goodness. For your power to cleanse us from sin. Father, those who are here who are saved, cause them to rejoice. Those who are here and unsaved, cause them to repent. And to turn from whatever distraction it is that is keeping them away from Jesus. And to turn their eyes in faith to him alone this morning. We pray this all in your son's precious name. Amen.